When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Arijo. Today is the 17th of January of 2022 for historical context. And this podcast is not medical advice. Definitely check out the show notes for the references to what I'm going to be saying as I would like for you to interpret these data yourself before taking my word for it and making any decisions based on it. Today I'm going to be discussing the potential addition of vasopressin as well as methylprednisolone to our ACLS protocols to try to bring back people who suffer in-hospital cardiac arrest. My love for ACLS goes back far in my career. I fondly recall taking ACLS and BLS as we all did, but I did it prior to completing medical school, uh, excuse me, after completing medical school and prior to starting residency. I took the small private class, just a couple students, and the, the instructor was a charismatic firefighter uh, named Sanders, who I still remain friends with to this day. And he noticed that I was particularly excited about the whole ACLS thing. I tend to be quite enthusiastic about fun stuff that I do. Needless to say, I was very grateful that he offered me a job teaching with his company. The company's called MedTrain. And I worked with him until I started residency. Around this time, this was around the 2010-2011 time of... Um, of medicine, the 2010 AHA guidelines had just been published, and at this time, vasopressin had been removed from the ACA from the ACLS guidelines. So, so, so me starting my career of actually taking care of patients who suffer from ACLS, well, vasopressin was not something that was on my radar. As again, the first real guidelines I learned did not have vasopressin in it, but it was new to me to find out that. There have been studies before using vasopressin and glucocorticoids or methylprednisolone, in this case in ACLS, uh, when I was going through all these data. I don't know if it's new to you, but it was definitely new to me. Testing, testing. The fact that I had already been training people at ACLS made my life a whole lot easier when I started residency and part of the code response team in residency was that the surgery residents as well as the internal medicine residents, me being one of the internal medicine residents, would show up to the code and basically run it. So given that I already had a year of experience training people how to do it, it was a lot of fun for me. I mean, you know, people who listen to this podcast understand that we have to compartmentalize things. And when I say it's a lot of fun, no, it's not necessarily fun that somebody has arrested, but it's it's uh it's challenging it's it's what i feel like like i was put on this earth to do but nonetheless that's a different that's a different conversation altogether being a certified instructor it was entertaining to say the least to see certain upper level residents fumble around with the acls card in their pocket while they were losing their cool yelling at staff completely losing control of the room when it was more than anything obvious that they didn't know what they were doing today now that i am a I'm intensivist. I've been doing this for a number of years. I serve as the co-physician champion for the Code Blue and Rapid Response Team Committee at my hospital. Word of advice, it's sometimes better to share responsibility with your friends. In this case, my co-physician champion is one of my partners, and I love the guy, than to tackle the whole project on your own. 
given that, for example, when I'm working nights, uh, he's working days. And so therefore he could attend the meetings and then we could discuss what should and should not be done for rapid responses and code blues. So that's just as that's just an aside. The same adrenaline junkie that I was a number of years ago when I was super enthusiastic about taking ACLS and getting my AHA card and all that, it's the same thing I am today and hence why I'm enthusiastic to create this podcast. But I have simplified in a certain way how I run codes. Again, I remain the adrenaline junkie and I try to be the first one there. During the code, I also try my best to instruct constructively while the code is ongoing to try to teach people how to do things better and more efficiently. People tell me that they love when I show up to codes because everything tends to be smooth. But then again, they might be lying to me in my face and saying something behind my back. Who knows? But generally, running codes is, is straightforward. I mean, you figure out why the patient was there, what happened, even though sometimes uh, the staff, unfortunately, does not know what happened. And you go through your H's and T's. I'm not going to go through that whole process as, um, as you know, that, that, that you have to tailor your code response to each patient to a certain degree. One of the more recent things I've adopted from the pharmacy staff, and this is to not create too much chaos, is that I provide the epinephrine, the one milligram of epinephrine for patients who need it, of course, because not every patient needs epinephrine at every other pulse check. This means that the patient will be receiving epinephrine at four minute intervals, smack in the middle of the three to five minute intervals noted on the AHA guidelines. Now, these new trials, uh, this new trial looking at basopressin and methylprednisolone seems to be a curveball that has been thrown my way. And, you know, one's, one's first reaction is to say, hey, I don't want to change what I'm doing because this, this seems to be working, even though, you know, our success rate on codes is not the greatest, definitely not 100% as, as uh, it looks like on TV. But sometimes we got to change our way of doing things. And it seems as if this trial is prodding my brain to potentially do that. But let's find out more about it. In September of 2021, a trial in JAMA, which this trial unfortunately is not free for you to download. It's something that's hidden behind a paywall. Well, it showed up in my, pay, in my, in my mailbox. The non-sexy name of the trial is the VAM-IHCA study, and this stands for Vasopressin and Methylprednisolone for In-Hospital Cardiac Arrest. The first sentence of this paper states that 300,000 patients suffer in-hospital cardiac arrest in the United States each year. Again, I don't, know, I don't understand why JAMA of all their papers decided to put this one behind a paywall uh, to allow fewer people to access it, given that 300,000 people per year have cardiac arrest. I mean, think of how many people could benefit from reading this paper and potentially changing their practice. Now, let's put that angry commentary aside. I do have to tip my hat to the authors here because uh, I have contemplated before how challenging it is to recruit patients to an ACLS study. And here they were able to recruit a total of 501 patients when it was all said and done. And definitely kudos to the authors for that. The way they did it, in case any of us want to perform a trial like this, was to, quote, oral and subsequent written informed consent was temporarily obtained from a physician independent of the trial until the patient regained capacity or a surrogate became available according to Danish legislation, end quote. All in all, I'm unsure of whether this is possible from a legal perspective in the United States. I don't know if, uh, if an IRB would be willing to let this fly. 
Let's say we want to use these data to actually change the way we take care of cardiac arrest patients at our facilities. We have to know what doses were provided in the trial to defend ourselves with data should somebody question us. Therefore, in the study, they used 40 milligrams of methylprednisolone and 20 units of vasopressin, either IV or IO, wherever they had access, as soon as possible after the first dose of epinephrine. Okay, so patient gets epi. As soon as they get epi, they get both 40 milligrams of methylpred and 20 units of vasopressin. Then they would go ahead and provide additional doses of vasopressin at 20 units after each epinephrine dose up to a total of four doses. This means that they would get a total of 80 units of vasopressin in total. So it does not seem as if the patients received additional methylprednisolone. Then they also don't comment if patients receive stress dose steroids after their cardiac arrest. That's one of the critiques of the article, but I'll get into more of that a little bit later. I think a very appropriate and what the authors decided was the primary outcome was a return of spontaneous circulation. I mean, that's the main thing we try to do when we have a cardiac arrest patient is to achieve ROSC. So return of spontaneous circulation, for those of you who don't know, we shorten it up and call it ROSC. So I completely agree with this being the primary outcome for the study. And what they found was in the vasopressin and methylprednisolone group, 42% of patients achieved ROSC. In the control group, 33% of patients achieved ROSC. Now, if we plug this into our nifty number needed to treat calculator, we find that we can find the benefit in, in taking care of just 11.1 patients. Overall, this is not bad. Another way to look at these results and the way that the authors characterized it is that they had a, quote, absolute increase of 9.6% in ROSC, end quote. So they calculated the sample size, of, meaning the amount of patients that they recruited into the study, for this primary outcome. Some would go ahead and criticize the study, stating that there's no evidence and improvements in survival. But these people are being academically dishonest. After that, that's a secondary outcome in the study, and the study is not powered for the outcome. They would need to recruit more people. Now, there's a trend towards there being improved survival, but again, it's not powered for that. You know, it's it's one of these things where you could always shred a study if you really want to be difficult with the authors. But uh, again, a study like this hadn't been done in over a decade. One of the more telling results from the subgroup analysis, which is figure two, is that the earlier the patients received the combination of epinephrine, vasopressin, and methylprednisolone, the better their outcome was. If it was provided in eight minutes or less, which is generally speaking what we tend to do in the hospital, Again, the, these folks had to do a number of other procedures and all that, from, given that it was, a, um, it was a clinical trial. So maybe in the real world, we will be able to do better. There is a statistically significant improvement when you give the three, again, being the epi, the vaso, and the methylpred, to just giving epi when it comes to ROSC. It seems obvious that the earlier they provide this, the better, but it's nice to see them on paper. Nice to see these, these results in paper. The authors were gracious in their limitations as is appropriate. Now, there was an editorial that, again, it's not free for you to download. You have to have, a, have access to JAMA. You know, this editorial kind of upset me a bit. They did their typical chest thumping of, yeah, we need more data before changing practices. And, and obviously, this is, this is obvious. I mean, it's, it's easy to say that and not do the studies yourself. Um, but whatever, that's, that's just me. And, and uh, I'm, I'm 
I, I know I'm guilty of criticizing studies as well, but come on, give the people some grace in all this. So what prompted me to really create this podcast was the fact that now in the journal resuscitation, there is a systematic review and meta-analysis looking at vasopressin and methylprednisolone. And again, it's free for you to download, so you can actually get this one and read it for yourself. Uh, I'm glad it's free, and, and therefore, I'm, yes, I'm throwing shade at JAMA for hiding this paper behind the paywall. Again, this is free, and I'm happy that they did it. The authors performed their analysis, and the conclusion was that giving patients methylpred and vasopressin improves ROSC in patient, patients who suffer in, in hospital cardiac arrest. And they used this study, the study that was published in JAMA a couple, a couple months ago. But in addition to that, they used two studies that were smaller. You know, they had different methodologies and all that, which I'm not going to get into here. But they're over a decade old. If you look at the confidence intervals, they're honestly rather wide. I wish they were a little bit tighter. And other outcomes such as survival to hospital discharge and as well as neurologic outcome remain unknown. The authors here of the systematic review and meta-analysis concluded that, quote, larger trials are needed to determine whether there's an effect on long-term survival and favorable neurologic outcomes. So the question that you might be asking me and I'm kind of asking myself is, that's why I'm kind of putting this, this out there for everybody to listen to and provide me with commentary is, what am I going to do next? I'm going to be discussing the results of this trial as well as the subsequent meta-analysis with my team to make sure that I'm not looking, overlooking something. A particular issue is that anytime you change the way you do things, it it's a lot larger of an issue than it seems at face value. And um, even though this would affect a limited amount of clinicians at my facility, um, I would have to circulate this with the emergency medicine teams as well as the critical care teams that run codes in my healthcare system, which is pretty large and uh, and includes a lot of physicians. But if some, some other institution, for example, that has uh, emergency medicine residents or internal medicine residents who are the ones who run the codes, you know, that's going to that's gonna be a significant amount of training that goes through there as well as the pharmacy team as well as nursing who are actually the ones who tend to jump on the chest first and start the codes for prior to us arriving there. In addition, uh, there will be a capital expense because the code carts and jump bags will be uh, needed to, you need to stock those appropriately so that when you do call for the vasopressin or the methylprednisolone, they actually have it in the code cart. My approach is a more democratic one, so I will definitely speak to multiple people prior to upending the way we do things. At the end of the day, change for the sake of change is not always best. And of course, none of this is medical advice, but I'd like to know what you think about the study and whether you think it's worthwhile with a number needed to treat of 11.1 to achieve ROSC, if this is something worthwhile for us to do in, our, in your practice. If you gain anything from my podcast, please, uh, I would greatly appreciate it if you go on to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review as it definitely helps the podcast grow and reach other people. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye.